0: You're listening to a sermon from Plus Life, a church that exists to see lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that you will be stirred in your heart and renewed in your mind as you hear the preaching of God's word today. Tell someone the title of my sermon this morning, Better is One Day. Better is One Day. I wonder if my 90s children know the song right? Better is one day in your courts. Amen. Well, again, good morning, everyone. Good morning sounds right, right? It just feels like that's when Christians should be gathering in the daylight, not in the darkness of the night. I don't know. Uh, but but it feels right but glad to be here in the morning and and again seeing you all definitely a big change for our church and, and we're going by faith and trust in the lord that this is the the right step that our churches is uh, our church needs to be taking as we grow and as our seasons change and and what better time to start this change than in of course in the new year i feel like this is often around the time where we do make changes where where we commit to new things we call this what new New Year's resolutions, right? How many here have some resolutions that they, they came up with at the beginning of this year? Anyone? No one needs to change. Everyone here is perfect. Am I the only one? What is going on here? <laughs> right? Uh, okay. Okay. Sure. Why not? Well, for me personally, I'll just let you know that it's not really New Year's resolutions because I started this uh, back in early December. My my wife and I we got a treadmill on Black Friday, and so I've committed to start you know running a little, a lot of doing this right, and doing a little push-ups, right, a lot of doing that uh, every every week, and so I've committed to that. And by the grace of God, right, this is fantastic. I, I've already lost 10 pounds since December. So praise God. Praise God, right? But of course, it doesn't matter because we're doing live streams now, so 10 pounds added to that again. So fantastic. Uh, but nonetheless, right, I'm on this track, on this routine of, of getting healthy and changing. And, and I'm sure, right, you guys can keep me accountable on that as well. But uh, I'm sure I'm not alone, even though no one put up their hand, right? Everyone wants to look perfect. Uh, that's fine. But I'm sure there's many resolutions that we've come up with maybe it's a change of uh, eating habits or or exercise or or lifestyles and i'm sure i'm sure some of you have some as well but it's interesting some of the resolutions that people make in the new year uh for example i found this top 10 list on google of the most common new year's resolutions that people have listen maybe you can add this to your list some of these on your list or maybe it is your list uh number one of course is exercise more no don't write this down this is not my points by the way right Exer- number one exercise more Two, lose weight right i feel like those, those those two come in hand like if you exercise you're supposed to lose weight i don't know unless you're you know trying to pump iron or something i don't know uh number three is get organized all right who needs to be a little more organized amen amen all right then how come you didn't put up your hand earlier what is this what's going on, right, uh, number four is learn a new skill or hobby, number five is live life to the fullest, with these lockdowns, I don't think so, um, sorry, uh, number six is save more money, spend, or spend less money, okay, number seven is quit smoking, no one put up your hand, hopefully, uh, number eight, spend more time with family and friends, okay, number nine, travel more, That's <laughs> well, it's a joke, I think, um, And number 10 is read more, right? Who needs to read more? Fantastic. I know that should be on my list, actually. Uh, Now, this is no doubt a list from the world because I didn't see anything about reading your Bible more or or praying more, obviously. It's definitely not a Christian list. But I'm sure and very confident in, in my faithful Christian church here that you guys have some some christian things on your list right maybe it's it's finally finishing that bible reading plan that you started two years ago right or maybe it is praying more maybe it is avoiding some bad habits and and that's great if you have those things but i think there's one area of our christian life our christian walk that we can often forget and, and that and and or maybe it doesn't come immediately to mind and that is our commitment to church attendance our commitment to assembling with other believers and worshiping together, uh, uh, coming together as a local body of believers. Did, did this make anyone's bliss just, just by any chance, right? There you go, proves my point. Uh, if you ever come to church late, right, or if you've ever missed a couple of services, uh, shouldn't that merit maybe a change or a resolution in this new year? I mean, if you've ever been late for work, a couple of times, you make the resolution to come early, right? So you don't get written up or you don't get fired. And even if you, if you miss a couple of days of work, you make the effort to show up and not miss any more days, right? So I wonder if we feel just as much conviction over missing church service or, or, or missing out on church. Well, I, well, Pastor Ian, you know, I, 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 I won't get written up if I don't come to church, right? I get paid to go to work. Well, that's an interesting mentality to have because does that mean you'll only come to church if you get something? Too bad you missed out last week because we gave away a lot of things, right? Or, or does that mean uh, or that you're, you're unafraid of the consequences of forsaking the assembly of believers? Because there are consequences. And, and let me tell you, those consequences have greater impact than getting ridden up for work, have eternal implications. Look at Hebrews chapter 10 with me. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 verse well starting from verse 24 it says and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near that's church that's the assembly that's the gathering of the believers that's what we as christians are called to do to gather and stir one another up in love and good works to to live a holy and christian life because if we don't listen to the consequences keep reading verse 26 for if we go on sinning deliberately meaning willful and unchecked disobedience After receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Now I know there's a lot to unpack there, but the summation of what the writer of Hebrews is saying is that if we are in the habit of forsaking the gathering of believers, the church, then we are no better than unbelievers, the adversaries of the gospel. In fact, what he's saying is that our willingness to come together, to, to love on one another, to stir up one another in, in righteous deeds and holiness and our openness to be encouraged and edified by other believers is a good sign that we are actually in the faith, that we have actually received the knowledge of truth. Because if that desire is not there, how are you any different than an unbeliever? if we are in the habit of missing church, it puts into question the legitimacy of our salvation. Because as we grow in our faith, God instills in us a desire of longing to be with other believers. So just by those standards, from a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being the highest, of course, being perfect, I'm sure everyone's going to rate themselves 10, right? Rate your commitment to church last year. How many days did you miss? How many times were you late? And be honest. Uh, and be honest with yourselves, because I get it. There are times, of course, that we can't make it to church. There are valid reasons as to why we can't make it. Maybe maybe we're sick. Maybe there's a family emergency. But don't make excuses for yourself. Don't use, for example, the pandemic as an excuse. As we just read in that passage in Hebrews, as we see the world getting worse and worse, we are to gather all the more. So, where was your level of commitment coming to church last year? Now, if, if, if you gave yourself a low score on that scale, then don't you think that something needs to change this year? If you call yourself a, a Christian, but, but, but don't give a flying hoot about gathering together with other believers, then, then I'm telling you, that has to change. Again, we're called to gather, to stir up one another, to love and good works. So I think of all the things we should be making resolutions of this year, our commitment to church, to assemble, to one another ought to take high priority. Because if the pandemic has shown us, has proven anything, is that church has become a pastime and not a passion. Something that we do when we have the time. And my, de- my desire this morning, ch- church, is of course to bring the conviction. Because you cannot do the Christian walk alone, and I've seen this so much this past year. Brothers and sisters who have fallen away into heresy, into false doctrines, into worldly mentalities, into lifestyles that are are not biblical, are not good for them, all because they prioritize themselves, because they prioritize the world, because they prioritize life more than they did God's people, the church, gathering together. Some, of course, we even know have used this pandemic as an excuse to stop coming to church altogether. I know of churches tomorrow morning that will be empty because people are saying, I don't want to, you know, be near people. And listen, it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. As a a pastor, you're pouring out into people, right? You're, you're, You're investing into people. But but you can only do so much because at the same time, it is the individual's believe, the individual believer's responsibility to, to, to go and commit themselves to a local body, a church as well. You need other believers. And, and the primary place that we are given to grow with each other is not in small groups, right? It's not in social gatherings where there's some Christians in it, right? It's the church, the church. So my hope with the word this morning is that as we start this new year, that you would be instilled with fresh fire, fresh passion to come to church, that you would be convicted uh, and make resolutions to, to avail yourself to, to the gathering of believers. My hope this year is that regardless of, of what restrictions or, or variants that come our way, regardless of what time we have to come in, that our commitment, our passion to assemble as a church, would not be compromised. That church would take a priority in our schedule. My hope is that the house of God once again becomes a passion and not a pastime. And that's what our passage is actually talking about this morning. It depicts the kind of heart, the kind of commitment that we as believers, we as followers of God ought to have towards gathering together, towards coming to the house of God to worship Him. And my hope is to remind you what we can expect when we do gather together, as well as the expectations for us in that process. So if you're ready for change, if you're ready to make some resolutions, someone say, jump for me. Praise God. So some background on our text. Uh, Categorically speaking, Psalm 84 is called an Ascent Psalm. Right, Ascent Psalms were, were songs that Jewish pilgrims would sing as they pilgrimaged up to Jerusalem to go to the temple, the, the place where God's presence were was, the central place of worship in the Jewish faith. Of course, that central place or that central location of worship has changed when, when Christ came. And, and within the new covenant, if you recall the conversation that Jesus had with the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, John, uh, Jesus says in John chapter 4 verse 21, woman believe me the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in jerusalem will you worship the father you worship what you do not know we worship what we know for salvation is from the jews but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and truth for the people for the father is seeking such people to worship him the central place where god is now worship is when his people gather together To worship Him in spirit and in truth. That's the local church. That's, that's, That's the people, right? The church is the people. Now, there is no doubt that we can worship God on our own. But again, the primary way we are called to worship God is together. And that's because the church is meant to be a foreshadow of worship in heaven, in eternity. When, and when, when people from every tribe and every tongue will gather be, together before the throne of God and lift praises to Him for all eternity. That's what the church is meant to foreshadow. Now, all of this to say, this psalm is very much applicable to us Christians today and should be a reflection of our own hearts as we come together and worship God in church. So, so let's break down this, this, this psalm. From verse 1, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. The psalmist starts off by exclaiming his delight in the house of the Lord. His words denote a pleasure, a satisfaction in just seeing the place where God's presence resided. In the same way, the church today, the body of believers, is meant to be that tangible presence of God in the world. So, so we see that there's an expectation to meet with God, to, to, to be in the presence of God with the psalmist. And, and not just any God, by the way. He, he, he refers to, to Adonai Shavat, the Lord of hosts, literally meaning the God of heavenly armies. That's awesome. So there's a reverence being displayed in his expectation by recognizing the authority of the one he's come to worship. The sentiment wells up to what he says in verse 2. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. The psalmist expresses his deep desire just to be in the house of the Lord. His desire is so deep that he could faint. Did anyone faint this morning while waiting downstairs? No, I don't think so, right? I mean, I've never seen that, right? But if you've ever seen maybe these concerts for, for these famous singers, you know, Justin Bieber or Backstreet Boys, whatever your kids listen to these days, right? I'm sure you've seen these fans just like fainting at the sight of them. I imagine it's exactly the same sentiment. This worshiper is ready, ready to faint in anticipation and excitement, but not for some man. The psalmist says, my heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. I love how he makes a distinction between the, the idols of wood and stone that the pagans worship and the living God of the Bible, who he's come to worship. Now, before we move on, can can anyone relate to the psalmist yet? Right? Can anyone say that they have longed to be in the house of the Lord so much that they could faint, That their entire being, their heart and their flesh is crying out just to come and lift up songs of praise with one another. I'll be honest, I know I haven't, right? And so I definitely need some work as well. Verse three, he says, even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Even the animals, the the birds of the air find refuge in the house of God. We'll come back to this. Go to verse four. Blessed are those who dwell in your house ever singing your praise blessed are those now we come to what we can expect as we gather the first thing that we can expect as we gather together in the house of god we can expect blessing this is our promise of blessing our promise of blessing what blessing can we expect is it wealth and riches right maybe success in your endeavors i'm sure you know this but a lot of churches preach this right that if you come to their church that your wallet will grow your hair will grow back all these things But that's not what scripture says. Our passage highlights three blessings that we can expect. Uh, First of all, the blessing of refuge. The blessing of refuge. We just read this in verse three. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself. The church is supposed to be, is meant to be a refuge. A place where where even the smallest of birds can find sanctuary. And if the birds can find refuge in the house of God, that means we can too regardless of who you are, regardless of what you've done or where you're coming from, the church is meant to be a place of refuge, a place that welcomes all people without reservation or prejudice, without partiality. All are welcome to the church. Now, please hear me and don't get this wrong. Because just because all are welcome, it doesn't mean that we support all. We will be loving, but not enabling people in their sin. Just as we subject ourselves to the mercies of a holy God when we come and gather, anyone who walks through those doors must do the same. As we always say from this pulpit, right? The, the ground is leveled at the foot of the cross. We are just beggars pointing people where there is bread. So we don't show partiality. We don't show prejudice or preference all are welcome to bend the knee to a holy God. We come together to, to please God and not placate men. So all of this to say, don't expect that we're, we're going to be waving around any rainbow flags anytime soon, unless that rainbow is to represent the wrath of God, as scripture says. But all are welcome. It, we're, the, 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 the church is meant to be a, 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 a refuge, a refuge to all. Now, secondly, we're promised the blessing of revival, of revival. Go to verse 5. Blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, Baca means weeping in Hebrew. They make it a place of springs. Their early rain also covers it with pools. Similar to this Imagery of a dry and dead valley, a valley of weeping becoming a place of springs and pools, a place revived. The church is meant to be a place for dry bones to receive new life. This is where we can see the dead raised to life, where those who were once sleeping in darkness can awaken to the light of Jesus Christ. Where those who are mourning in the depths of despair can find comfort and hope in Christ. So we can expect revival when we come to church. So so refuge, revival in verse seven, it says, they go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. We can expect to be refreshed. We may, we, we may not be dead, but if you are weary, if you are, are worn from the burdens of life, from the, the problems of this world, you can find encouragement, you can find healing, you can find help and strength here at the church, whether through God's word or from each other, we're, we're called to carry one another's burdens. And listen, I assure you, you 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 won't find this anywhere else. That the world tries to offer these things, but they're all just counterfeit, right? Cheap imitations of what the church is meant to be. Only in the house of God, with the people of God, can you truly find refuge. A place of genuine acceptance, of sincere love and gracious truth, despite of who you are or what you've done. Only from the church, the people of God, where where the gospel and the truth of God's word is preached, can you find true revival, real life. And only from the church and from the people of God will you find refreshment and strength for your weary soul's People to walk alongside you, keep you accountable, to carry your burdens with you. This is our promise of blessing. This is what we can come to church with expectant hearts for. Now before you think that it's all blessing and we just come to church to receive something and and be consumers in that way, let's not overlook our responsibility here. Let's not overlook our push to assemble, our push to assemble If you didn't notice, verse 5 to 7, this is describing the journey, the the pilgrimage that the psalmist is on. There is an effort that is being made as he travels through the valleys, as he travels through the dry lands, all all for the purpose of getting to the house of God. Even an an exertion of strength in verse 7 that we just read about. See, in biblical times, people from all over the known world traveled long distances just to worship God. These pilgrims, uh, these pilgrimages were required time, resources, even risking one's own life. They would travel on roads where bandits would be able to attack them and rob them and kill them. That's dedication, is it not? Dedication to just go and worship God. It took effort, a push, a sacrifice just to be in the house of the Lord. Meanwhile, again... Some of us, uh, we got to wake up in the morning. You know, I haven't had my coffee yet. Pastor even talking so about going to church. You know, some of us uh, much prefer, you know, being at home and watching church in our pajamas, maybe. Listen, any commitment requires a push, an effort, a sacrifice. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Notice the juxtaposition there in this verse. By presenting our physical bodies, we are spiritually worshiping God. The push, the sacrifice, the discomfort, the effort is part of our worship. It's declaring, God, you you are worthy of all this effort. You're worthy of me getting up in the morning. Oh, you're worthy of, of my time. See, at some point, we need to decide that. We need to decide, is God worthy of our praise? Let me, let me hear a response here. Is God worthy? Say, he is. Amen. Is God worthy of our worship? Is Christ worthy of all blessing and honor and glory? Amen. Now, that's easy to say because it's kind of abstract, right? But let me, make it, let me make it more personal. Is God worthy of your time? Is God worthy of your talents? Is God worthy of your treasures? Is the God who laid down His life so that we might live, the one who who shed his blood on the cross, so that we would be forgiven and redeemed and justified before a holy God—is he worthy of your life in this world? If God is God, worthy of giving up your morning routines, your days off, your your your, your fears, your social anxieties—is God worthy of you giving up even your job just to come and worship Him? Because if He is then what push, what effort are you making just to come to church and worship Him? What is it costing you to worship God this morning? I love the words of the greatest worshiper who ever lived, King David, when he was offered a free offering to give to God in worship. He says in 2 Samuel, I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that costs me nothing. It costs me nothing. Again, what did it cost you to get, to get here this morning, to worship God this morning? You know, tomorrow, or even in the next couple of days, in countries where Christianity is forbidden, there will be Christians who will gather together as a church at the cost of their own life just to worship God, and just to be with other believers. That ought to put us Western Christians to shame. Now, I do want to say this. I really do praise God for everyone here this morning who made the effort to wake up early and come to church. And I thank God for your faithfulness and your love for the Lord and his people, of course. That, that that that's what this is demonstrating by you being here this morning despite the time change despite what's going on in the world right now by God's grace you've set the day aside this hour aside just to come into the house of God and lift up praises to him and of course be with one another so praise God praise God for your commitment your dedication that's passion and that's what ex- that, that's what is expected of us a love A fire, a passion for worship. Look at our passage from verse 8. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wickedness. The psalmist would rather be the guy who holds the door open the guy who stacks the chair, the guy who picks up the trash in the house of the Lord than be anyone else in anywhere else. That's passion for the house of God, for the people of God. And that is the final expectation expressed to us in our, in our passage, our passion for worship, our passion for worship. What is your passion for worship? Note that the psalmist's passion is demonstro- demonstrated by his preference, Right? There is one day in your courts. I'd rather be a doorkeeper than dwell in the, the tents of the wicked. His preference communicates his passion. And similarly, what we prefer communicates what we're passionate about as well. If you would rather be sleeping in right now than being at church, you must really love sleep. If you would rather be with your friends or out or being at home, even that says what you're passionate about, what your, what you, what your priorities are. Again, where does God fit in the list of your priorities? Like the psalmist, can you truly exclaim, better is one day in the courts of my God than a thousand elsewhere. And listen, this passion that the psalmist has is not without reason, right? Look what he says in verse 11. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. The reason why the psalmist is so passionate about worship is because he recognizes that the Lord is good. He recognizes that God is our refuge, our our source of strength, the one who bestows blessings and gives us all that we have. What the psalmist is describing here is God's love, his passion for his people. God's loving kindness that gives to us what we don't deserve, that, that bestows to us what we've never earned. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 31, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Then a few verses later, Paul says in verse 37, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And the reason why we ought to be passionate about God is because God is passionate about us. So much so that he died for us. Died for the church, his people, his bride. He loves us enough to send his son on the cross for our sins. Right? God demonstrates his love for us, and while we we're still sinners, Christ died for us. That's how passionate he is for us. And the least that we can do is commit one day to worship him with other believers. Regardless of the cause. And please understand that what the psalmist said is true. It is better in the house of the Lord. Better is one day in God's house than thousands elsewhere. You will find more satisfaction being a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. Than being anywhere else. And being anything else in the world. Why? Because there is an overwhelming joy as we serve the God who loves us, and, and who, who and who we love in return, and it's not just who it's not just God who benefits from this passion. It's it's the person sitting beside you, it's the brother or sister that you are worshiping with. Your passion, your dedication for the house of the Lord overflows to others and encourages and inspires and edifies and convicts your fellow worshipers. And and that's that's what Scripture says that we're called to do, to stir up one another in love and good works. Our obedience fuels the obedience of others the same way that our disobedience discourages others. So what kind of passion are you demonstrating to others? What would others say about your 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 love for worship, your love for the church? How is your passion for the things of God impacting others? So this is our so this is expectations set on us as worshipers of God. This is our promise of blessing. We come with expectation, we come with hope and desperation that that God will offer us refuge and revival and refreshment in his place, in his house this is our push to assemble the effort that we make the cost that we pay just to come and and give offerings worthy of a holy god and of course this ought to be our passion for worship again declaring better is one day than a thousand elsewhere so this new year Church, let's make a resolution. Let's make a resolution. Even if, the, if this morning schedule uh, fails and we have to go back to the evenings or whatever, prioritize coming to church. Prioritize coming to worship God with His people. Mark the days in your calendar. Cross it off, right? The same way that we've probably already looked ahead in this year and said, I'm going to go on vacation on this weekend. Mark off the days where you're coming to church. Listen, prioritize God this year. And And the way you can do that is prioritizing His people. Get plugged into the church, the local body. As we close, I know... I know maybe some of you are thinking and those who are listening that it's difficult to get plugged into a church because maybe you've had bad experiences. Maybe you've been to churches where it wasn't really being a church. It was just as bad as the world. Well, I want to reassure you that that's not what Plus Life is striving to be. I want to reassure you that as we talked about, the Plus Life will be a place of refuge, of revival, of refreshment. A place that we can be encouraged and build up by other believers, a place that we can experience God's love. Plus Life is not about, again, placating to man. Regardless of the cost, we are about pleasing God, to see lives changed by the gospel. Listen. This is sort of the vision that I want us to sort of to 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 picture, to to harbor in our hearts as we step into this new season, as we step into this new year. A vision of a church that that is in line with, is in step with God. Let me read for you this description, this vision that we see from God's word, Acts chapter two, Acts chapter two, verse forty-two. It says, "And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship." And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Church, that's what we want to be. That's what we want to see here at Plus Life. That's the kind of church that we want to be and pursue. We want to understand and notice all the signs and wonders, all the the people being saved, all the needs being met, all the lives being changed happened because of verse 44. All who believed were together. Let's pray. Oh, gracious God and Heavenly Father, you know, Lord, where we have stumbled, where we have strayed. You know, the things that, God, we have prioritized over your house, over your people. And God, we ask, even as we look back and reflect on this past year, that you would instill in us, Lord God, a steadfast spirit for change, a resolve, O Lord, to put you first in everything that we do. And God, I pray that you would once again put a passion, a fire in us, a love for your church for gathering together, for serving one another, for loving on one another, to be open and to be edified by one another. Oh God, we know as your word says that this is your will for us. This is what you call us to do. And so I pray that as we step into this new season of our church, this new year of our lives, that God, we would truly surrender and commit to your will for us, to your call for us. That God, as we just read, that we would be a church, Lord. That see signs and wonders and and the healings and you prospering us and and blessing and needs being met in our communities. That you use plus life as a beacon of hope, uh, something to influence and impact the world and communities around us. That day by day you would add to our members. Day by day you would see, that we would see salvations, lives changed by the gospel. God, please, as we pray, use us together as a whole as your instrument of peace in this world. To be ambassadors. To be people who who take up the ministry of reconciliation with with much joy and passion to bring your gospel to a world that is lost. Unite us, O God. Bring us together. Help us set aside our fears, our our preferences, our prejudices. Whatever whatever issues that we might have, even with one another, O God, I pray that you would reconcile them in the blood of Jesus Christ. That forgiveness would overflow, that grace would overflow, that mercy would overflow from our lives and to one another. Help us be, O God, the church that you have called us, Lord to be and God even as we leave from this place even as we uh, leave one another oh God I pray that you would guard us from the schemes of the evil one guard us from the schemes of man even from our own flesh oh God that that we might live lives worthy of your gospel I pray these things oh Lord by the mighty name of Jesus Christ our Savior Amen Amen. Thanks for listening We hope that you were blessed by the sermon today If you would like to learn about the gospel Or know more about our church Please visit pluslifepeople.com Remember to subscribe for more content Until next time, stay blessed